are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. question the nature of your reality? You mean like the nature of time and the multidimensional layers of space? No, that's that's actually not what I meant. I was more talking about, do you ever wonder if we're inside some kind of theme park filled with robots and maybe we're the robots and people are controlling everything that we say and do? Do we get to wear cowboy hats? Yes. Then yes, I do in fact sometimes wonder if we are inside of a Westworld theme park. It's amazing that you knew that, Captain. Yeah, well, I know, I know what's going on in your mind most of the time. I just, uh, usually it's too logical for me. So <laughs> guess what, friends? Today we're talking about Westworld. Yes, we are definitely talking about Westworld today. And before we get too far into today's podcast, we want to put out a spoiler alert. So uh, this podcast is going to be current with season two. If you are not current with season two, no probs, but you may want to hit pause and come back to us when you yourself have gotten caught up because spoilers make everyone sad. They sure do. Uh, welcome back aboard the Starship Therapies, friends. I am your captain, Justine Mastin. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, and an experienced yoga teacher at the 200-hour level. That experienced just means that I've taught over a 1,000 hours, and it's quite a lot more than a 1,000. But anywho. <laughs> but you weren't bragging at all. Um... I'm, I am modest kirk is nothing if not modest fascinating um <laughs> so i am larissa garski i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and i am the Spockian first officer here on the uss therapies and as a reminder we want to be clear with you our listeners that just because we are therapists doesn't mean that we are your therapists Unless we are your therapists. Uh, this podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. And without further ado, let's start talking about what in the world Justine means when she talks about the nature of reality. It's something called social constructionism. God bless you. Uh, but actually, I think you mean the Westworld construct. Uh, correct. So for our purposes today, the concept of social constructionism will be titled The Westworld Construct. Because it's sexier. Uh, correct. <laughs> Basically, what it means is that a bunch of people together decides what the world looks like to them. It's based on reality, but the rules and roles and boundaries, uh, folks create those. They just create them. They're constructs. So they're separate from the real reality. So does that mean that these individuals, these human beings just like, made up the way they want society to function? Uh, yeah, basically. Humanity isn't nearly as logical as their Vulcan counterparts, Spock. True, true. Uh, that's partly why I'm having a hard time believing that a group of humans got together and mapped out the rules of society in such a, shall we say, systemic fashion. Not even the creators of the Westworld Park agree in the foundation of the host society, and there are only two of them. <laughs> oh, right. Really, people can't decide. Um, no, they can't work well together in groups either, but they try. Right. 
people can't decide. So what happens is it, it's really an organic process. So what you're saying, Captain, is that the way that the Westworld construct works is that there's no logical foundation to it. It's just the ways that two different groups chaotically interact, and through those chaotic interactions, habits start to form. And habits turn into rules, which turn into laws, which turn into immutable constructs that over time, after generations of these groups living and working and being together, start to think of as fact. And they don't actually remember or see that they created this world or reality in which they're living, because at this point, they can't really imagine a time when it wasn't basically fact. Wow. That, that was what I was trying to say, but uh, that, that, feel, that felt more advanced. Yes, sometimes the Vulcan perspective is helpful. Right. People can't decide. So what happens is really an organic process. You could think about it like Netflix currently has some really dumb teen movies that they've made that I watched because that's what Kirk does in her downtime. Uh, it's important to find ways to relax and unwind and take care of your mind and body. It is, especially when you're on shore leave. So these films deal with the classic dichotomy of geek versus jock or nerd versus jock. One of the great archetypal stories. Yes, or uh, nerd versus cool kid, let's call it that. And I think this is a great way to think about how social constructionism works. Basically, all the nerds are together, or all the nerds are separate, creating their own realities, or reading books and falling into them, and falling into these fantasy worlds where they become part of those realities. And all the cool kids are hanging out together and somehow they just start to socially shape each other into what they believe the world should look like. Even if they were to take a great big step back, like at the end of the films, you know, where the nerd says something really inspired and then everybody slow claps. Um, they realize, oh, if I authentically take a big step back and look at the world, maybe I don't believe some of the stuff that we all together with our mob mentality decided was true. So. The Westworld construct, much like Arnold himself, argues that the differences that divide people are due to their social habits. And in this world, in, in the Westworld, these habits are created by the rich and powerful to empower themselves and to oppress the lower classes. In Westworld, the fundamental difference between the humans and the hosts is power or the lack of power. Brutal. Indeed. But in Westworld... Much like in human society, the story doesn't end there. Ooh. Right? Throughout history, the oppressed have risen up, either as groups or individuals, in an attempt to rewrite those social constructs that no longer serve them. Like the nerd at the end of the teen movie, who stands up and says, why can't we all get along? And then there's a slow clap, and everybody gets along until they presumably go off to college, and then shit hits the fan. Captain, you're giving me chills. <laughs> Much like the chills from the season two opener, when Dolores rides into battle, taking back the freedom denied her and her host compatriots. Uh, but are we supposed to cheer for her? Oh, I did. Fascinating. <laughs> um, certainly, Dolores and her compatriots have a real grievance with the humans. But is the answer to be found in one construct of reality battling another to the death? Yes, with lightsabers. No, Captain, that's the wrong fandom. Oh, yeah, I got caught up. Um, but you have a fair point. Absolutely, the hosts have reason to be angry with the humans. You know, they've been enslaved. Um, they were created and enslaved to be sex bots and murder bots. 
in that they will be murdered. So I think they have reason to be angry. And I think that Teddy is a really good example of how this happens. So uh, we're into the spoilery part, friends. Uh, it's not major spoilers, but if you're the sort of human that likes to be surprised mm -hmm. by everything, maybe it's time to pause. Yep, hit pause now. So Teddy's kind of going along with what Dolores wants to do because I, I don't know, because it's Teddy and Dolores. Right? right, because he has been programmed to love her. And even though Dolores attempted to explain to him the Westworld construct and how loops work, and loops, of course, are just the ways that the engineers program them to think, feel, and behave. Teddy doesn't quite grok it. He doesn't really know what to do with it. So he's following Dolores because he's always followed Dolores. And because he feels lost and confused. And this is not an uncommon reaction, right? Right. When folks out there in our real world really start to think about the ways that their society and culture have been constructed, it can feel confusing. And it can be hard to really sort of face what's going on. But then in season two, up to specifically, Teddy comes face to face with the harsh reality. Yeah, he gets to see all the times that he died. Ooh. He gets to scroll through it on on the fancy pants Westworld iPad. And he has this feeling of like, why the fuck can't I remember this? Yeah, this seems important. Right? Right? Yeah. I think if I had died, I would remember that. But I think this happens to lots of folks in the real world, too, when they start to see the Westworld construct. They start to ask themselves, wait, did this really happen to me? Was I really marginalized? Was I really oppressed? I'm confused. And from that confusion comes anger. And that's what happens with Teddy. I mean, he's immediately like, well, I'm going to fucking kill some people now because I'm having a feeling and I don't know what to do with it because I'm a fucking robot. And, and it's a big feeling. Yeah. And up to this point, um, in Teddy's existence, most of his feelings have been programmed and carefully modulated um, so that he could handle them. But now he's having, perhaps for the first time, his own unique, organic, overwhelming emotional experience. And it's a bit much for him. Yeah, super overwhelming. And poor Teddy. He was just programmed to be like this good guy. And trying to find out who he actually authentically is without a programmer, that's hard. Yeah. Part of what Teddy is struggling with is that he has always thought of himself as a good guy. And I think that speaks to and is pretty analogous to things that happen for folks when they start to step back and get perspective on their family of origin and groups of origin and the ways that they've been raised. Because up to this point, we've been talking about the Westworld construct in the sense of large social groups. And it absolutely applies to smaller group dynamics like um, in your family. Uh, there are ways that you're taught to see yourself in the world and roles you're given that may not necessarily speak to who and what you are, but it, initially it's all you know. And so when you have that kind of Teddy revelation and you start to see things beyond what you were taught to believe and know about yourself, it's going to bring up those big feelings. Oh, Spock, that was beautiful. Thank you. I learned from the best, Captain. No, flattery. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering, mm -hmm. can Teddy or the person who has now seen the Westworld construct, can they ever become okay with what's going on? Like, can they ever make peace with it? I think the short answer is yes, but it's usually a pretty long process. And it's often helpful to have support. Um, and sometimes these supports are your newfound community or family of choice. I certainly think that Dolores is doing her best to support Teddy. I don't know that she has maybe all the tools that Teddy really needs right now <laughs> to kind of grapple and be with what's going on for him. No, Wyatt, Wyatt really has no skills. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I don't think that it's that black and white. I think that Dolores does have some, like, I think she has something to offer Teddy, right? Like, she is responsible for bringing him to the Westworld iPad to kind of get him to face what's done to him. Yeah. So she's she's very much a part of kind of this awakening. But her her response to her own awakening was to, like, really do vengeance Mm -hmm. and and take back the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's going to be true or resonant to kind of Teddy's experience and what he's starting to understand about who he is, right? Well, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, if we we talk about what happened on uh, season two, episode three, when when Teddy does not follow Dolores's orders and execute his hostage, I mean, he's starting to figure out who he is and maybe he's not who Dolores wants him to be. No, I mean, in many ways, it seems like Dolores is the warrior and perhaps, you know, perhaps Teddy is the teacher. I mean, that final scene with, with that guy who, I mean, let's be real here. He's, he's not a great dude. Um, but that, like <laughs> Teddy was able to kind of look at him and have compassion for him and identify that you are, for all practical purposes, you're a child. You don't know what you're doing. Mm. And so is the right call to just like shoot you at point blank range? Or should we maybe take perhaps, I don't know, more of a, for lack of a better term, humanitarian approach and try and kind of equip you with some of the tools to understand what's going on for you? I mean, sure, that guy's violent, but he hasn't really known anything else. Teddy is a hostitarian. <laughs> no? Um, we might need we might need to work on, on the terminology there, but I like, <laughs> I like where we're going. I think this is a good direction. <laughs> So, yeah, but I mean, bringing this kind of like all back around to, you know, some of our kind of listeners at home, Teddy's where Teddy's at right now. He's at a point where maybe a psychotherapist or a guide could be really helpful to him. And that's just, you know, a way of talking about having someone who's there to kind of walk with you and can help you take a step back and look at things, normalize those big feelings and can help you start to get one perspective and then two, help you pause to start to think about where do I want to go from here? You know, do I want to be um, a warrior like the Dolores Wyatt model? Or is there another way that is maybe truer to who I am that I want to show up with this brand new knowledge? Yeah, when I work with clients and and we're dealing with um, reactivity, like the reactivity mm-hmm. that we see in Dolores or the reactivity we saw in Teddy when when he first saw his deaths on the iPad, uh, I think sometimes it's really useful to see where the other person or group of people is coming from. Yeah. Uh, and I want to be super clear with our listeners that I don't bring this up to excuse anyone's behavior, uh, but just as a lens to look through in order to understand the other person or group. Uh, because sometimes that understanding can really help us make sense of things and breathe into it and not get as caught up in reactivity. So I don't know if this would be true for the hosts, but if Teddy were my client, we might talk about, okay, so what do you suppose are some of the reasons that led these humans to create the Westworld Park? What are some of the challenges in their lives that led to the creation of an alternate reality that they can go hang out in? And I think that the truth is that all these people are rich and have power, but they're also really fucking lonely and unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the man in black or William spoke to this a bit early in season two, that basically nobody in his rich cohort is real. Uh, he feels they were just kind of fulfilling these roles. And the only place he felt he could truly be himself 
or that he felt anyone else could be themselves was in this West world where you're tearing all these trappings down. Well, and that's the great irony, right? The humans created Westworld to escape their own Westworld constructs. Whoa. What the man in black, aka Aged William, played by the amazing Ed Harris, is trying to give voice to, I think, is that he felt trapped by these roles, by these ideas of how he was supposed to be and show up. He felt like the rest of his fellow humans were also caught up in that. And so they were now devoid of their own sort of intrinsic meaning. He wanted to get back to the realness. And the way that he did that was within Westworld, which is ironically entirely fake. <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is completely constructed. But that construct allowed him to more fully engage with himself. Did he complete that work of going uh, no. inward? No, no, no. no. He, he obviously did not. Perhaps that's why he's such an angry man who's running around and hurting people. Um, but he is a great example of what can happen when we don't get the supports that we need, when we're overcome or overwhelmed by that first realization of how constructed our world is. When we don't get the support we need, we can often double down on both reactivity and anger. And that's very much what the man in black has done. He hasn't fully healed. He hasn't made his way through his own maze. He stopped at anger. Oh, the maze. Yeah. Because oh, really, do you think that's what the maze is? I, I think so. I think the maze is oh, about God. breaking free of those constructs that no longer serve you, right? And finding out who you are at the center. Oh, man. We solved the maze. Dang. <laughs> Take that, Westworld. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got to say that we went a lot of places today, and I didn't necessarily see us going all those places. <laughs> uh, yeah, that happens. Yeah, but I, I think they worked out. <laughs> and so now that we're nearing the end, what do you think, Captain, are some um, kind of basic or succinct things that our listeners can take away? And start to apply or bring into their own realities at home. Yeah, I think what our listeners can do at home is start to look around at the society that they live in and start to ask themselves if this is the narrative that they want. Because here's the thing, I, and I hope that we've touched on it at least a little bit, that our concept of reality, the way we see reality, that's really malleable. We can change that. So just because the people around you see the world a certain way, if you take a big step back and look at it and think about it, you might realize that authentically within yourself, that's not something you believe. That's something you've come to believe because you are within this particular Westworld construct. And you can totally rewrite those narratives. Uh, which we're going to talk about in our next episode. So tune in for Ep 3, Real World Fanfic. Uh, but you know, I think even before that third app, uh, one of the things uh, that we can start to think about are the stories, messages, constructs that we've um, been given around maybe things like uh, body norms. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What are things that we've been told about what a healthy body versus an unhealthy body looks like? Or a pretty body versus an unpretty body. Mm -hmm. We can start to think about how do these stories serve us? Or do they even serve us? I think gender norms can also be another great kind of concrete example of this. What we think of as being appropriate as far as how we present ourselves based on our gender has changed a lot in the centuries that human beings have been wandering around the planet. 
And oftentimes the stories that we're given around things like gender or body, they may not really fit who we are or how we want to show up. So we would encourage you, our listeners, to start to question or think about some of these things between now and the next time we chat. And if you're already questioning that, great, maybe go a little deeper. Yeah. And not only are these narratives serving us, but are they harming us? Yes, that's a great point. We want to kind of think about and question how are they serving me? And also, are they harming me? Yeah. Are these beliefs, in fact, harmful? And just because we've heard them from people we respect or trust, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think you had a great point, which is that we're we're all just monkeys shambling around on this big rock trying to figure shit out. And we can't operate under the assumption that other people know better than we do. Even when those other people are folks that we really love and have, you know, historically trusted, like teachers, parents, relatives, friends, sometimes even partners. Uh, so, Spock, that feels kind of that feels kind of dark, like we can't trust anybody. Um, but I think what you're saying is that none of none of these people are purposely trying to lead us astray. No, nobody is purposely trying to harm us. They are just still stuck within the Westworld construct. They haven't seen it yet. And they're just operating from what they've always been told and what they've always understood to be true. I think that's a really great point. And the other thing that I want to kind of put out there is that perhaps they have kind of seen the Westworld construct, as is the case with Dolores and Teddy. And it just so happens that Dolores's way of responding to that knowledge is not Teddy's way. And so she can only kind of help him from her vantage point and her perspective. And that's going to be limited. It may not, we know what she has to offer may not always speak to kind of where Teddy's at. And yeah, that I think that can definitely be true of the people who are close to us in our lives. But just just to be clear and really hit this point home, I'm definitely not saying don't trust the people that you're close to. I'm definitely not saying that. <laughs> trust them, but just like start to bring some curiosity into your life about, huh, what are maybe some of their perspectives and how are those perspectives interacting with how they see the world? And do I want to take on that perspective or am I seeing things maybe a little bit differently? Mm hmm. Yeah. We would love to hear from you, the listeners, on how this journey is going for you. So please, once once you've taken a look around at the Westworld construct in which you live, come over to our Facebook page and tell us what your triumphs are or your struggles and ask us any questions you have. We love to interact with you. And obviously, we are passionate about this material and would talk about it all day if we could do that. We sure would. Um, and if you are interested in more info about some of the concepts and the thinkers that we sort of mentioned today, you can always jump on your iPad. It may not be a Westworld iPad, but sure it's, <laughs> it's pretty shiny. Um, or any, uh, any. Hopefully, you don't see anything upsetting that you didn't remember had happened. That's right. That's right. That that can always be very jarring. Um, but if so, <laughs> no, you can reach out to people in your life. Um, but yeah, bring it all the way back around. You can use any of those devices connected to the internet to search social constructionism, narrative therapy, Michael White, his David friend, Epstein. David Epstein. I never want to call him David Epstein, but in fact, that is his name. Actually, his name is David Epstein. David Epstein. See, I just, I can't, I, it's hard. Um, sometimes being Spock is hard. English is tough. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then and we would also recommend um if you really want to take a deep deep dive there's a wonderful book called the social construction of reality by um berger and luckman apology to both those folks if i'm pronouncing their names wrong that's that's a great book and you could totally check it out and we may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song, Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art, and finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. All right, folks, we will see you in two weeks' time to talk about real-life fanfic. Until then, live, live long and, and prosper. prosper.